About a half decade ago, five years ago, we uh, experienced a tremendous amount of crowding on this campus that we'd been dealing with for about a, a decade before that. And we also were dealing philosophically with where we were trying to go as a church, especially when it came to worship. Uh, about a half decade ago, we had a one-size-fits-all worship, which we called blended worship, and uh, it was just about blended enough to tick off everyone. And so, uh, on a regular basis, I would get emails saying, you know, from the contemporary folks saying, when are we going to get contemporary music? And then I'd get uh, emails from the traditional folks saying, you've taken the church that I once loved. And so, it was not a pretty scene. And we decided, again, about a half decade ago, that we were going to embark on a journey as a church to start to develop uh, more congregations within our congregation to deal with part of our crowding problem, but also to develop smaller communities within Scottsdale Bible Church that would address philosophically and biblically where we want to go as a church. So you might remember we started our venue congregation at that time in which it was devoted to contemporary worship and younger families, and they have met now for five years on the other side of our campus. They're dialing in live right now for the teaching, so everybody say, hi, venue. And, and, and they've been an awesome part of our, our church. In fact, they now have two services at 9 and 1045 uh, on, on Sunday, and it kind of meets that contemporary music need. Then we launched our Cactus Campus. We bought an old Episcopal church and, and, uh, that had shut down and kind of revitalized uh, it as, as a Bible church. And we launched the Cactus Campus, which again has more contemporary worship. And they now have two services uh, about seven, eight miles away from here every Sunday. They dial in live for the teaching as well. So everybody say, Hi, Cactus. And today is a huge day because as we're doing this all along, people kept saying to me, but yeah, it's still, we want more traditional music. You don't understand. And they tell me stories about the old days and, and what music was like and the worship and the liturgy and what have you. So part of our Compelled by Grace vision, as most of you know, was to build a chapel on this campus that would be beautiful, that would be historic, that would be a signpost to our community, and that would be a place for weddings, funerals, and traditional worship. And as Troy mentioned earlier, at our very first inaugural service right now, the chapel is packed, and it's been a wild success, and they are now dialed in live via simulcast, so even better than you did with Venue and better than you did with Cactus, everybody say, hi, chapel. And now let's give it up for him. All right. So it really is a culmination of a lot of vision and dream. And so we welcome the venue and our Cactus Campus and particularly our chapel for our time uh, teaching in the Word. And I'm excited to see uh, where God is going to go as we continue to develop congregational presence both on this campus and throughout our communities. Now, as many of you know, I, I haven't gone for a few weeks. I, I didn't realize it when I planned my break away, but as I, I was about halfway through my break, I realized that I was going to be gone exactly 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> And, and I shared that with somebody this week, and he, he, he really deflated me. He said, well, you obviously weren't fasting during that time. 
<laughs> and, and some of you aren't laughing because you don't get the joke. You can read Matthew chapter 4 later about Jesus 40 days and 40 days. I, I think actually my time away in Michigan was more akin to Genesis 7 where it says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights because I was back in the Midwest and uh, Kim and I realized why uh, we do like Arizona so much, and, and even though it's hot. I did a lot of study. I studied the Gospel of John for a few weeks uh, on my break, and I feel very led just to kind of wet your whistle over the next couple of years to spend some concentrated time in the Gospel of John. I've never talked completely through a Gospel uh, as, as a senior pastor, and I'm very excited to do that. We're going to break it down into bite-sized chunks so it won't feel laborious or anything like that. But it's an interesting tidbit about the Gospel of John. Most of us know it talks about faith. John says that he's writing these things to help people believe in Jesus. And the word faith in the Greek appears 98 times in 21 chapters. So obviously the message of John is to believe and trust in Jesus. Interesting though, a second theme of John that many people don't see is the theme of love. We have faith vertically with God, but then love for one another. And uh, the word love appears about 20 times in the Gospel of John, but interesting, 17 of them are in the latter half, chapters 12 through 21, uh, starting with Jesus' very famous statement in John 13 that a new command I give you to love one another. And I thought of our vision statement as a church. Uh, the vision statement of our church is to be a community of Christ followers who are known for their unwavering faith in Jesus Christ and their unconditional love for each other. That, that's what our elders are shooting for. That's what we dream about as a church. And so we're going to spend the next couple of years, starting in 2015, talking about what, what unwavering faith and unconditional love truly look like for us as a church. Now that the compelled by grace thing is going to come to fruition next year, what now? What is God looking for in you and in me as a community of faith? And we're going to kind of parse out what unwavering faith and unconditional love look out in, in many different ways. Before we get to that next week, we're going to do a, a little mini-series out of Mark chapter 1 called Avenues. Uh, you're going to love this fall. We're going to take a look at the various avenues that Mark 1 lays out for us and how we know and follow Jesus, kind of a foretaste of where we're going to go in John. But today… I, as Troy mentioned, to our congregation here, I have something very special planned for the idea of, of, of connecting with each other and fellowship. And so as we go to the Word right now, would you do me a favor and let's all bow together, cactus, venue, and chapel, would you bow with me and, and let's pray to the Lord. Father, uh, indeed we're grateful for your movement in our midst, for what you have done in this church through 50 plus years, and Lord, even as of late in giving us wisdom on how to deal with the people you have given us as well as, Lord, how to develop richer community, uh, both on our campus and in our community. And so, God, I pray and thank you for our Cactus Campus and for our venue and now for our chapel. And I thank you, Lord, for the people that make up Scottsdale Bible Church that love you and follow you and even care about a lost community around them. And so I pray, Lord, that as we talk about community now, that you might be pleased and honored. I pray that, God, you might speak to our hearts and our minds in and through your word as we rightly understand it and apply it to our lives. And I pray this in Christ's name. And we all say together, amen. So here's something that almost every one of us know, if you've been around the spiritual block more than once, and that is that there is a twofold component to your spiritual life, and that is what we might call a vertical component, you and God, 
but then also a horizontal component, you and others. It's inarguable from a scriptural perspective that God says to live the Christian life rightly, to truly connect with Him, you have to, one, learn how to relate to Him as Father. Jesus is your Savior. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. In other words, there's a vertical component, just you and God. But then you also need to learn how to be in fellowship community with other believers because that's also a significant part of our walk with Almighty God. And so to say it kind of most plainly, what the Bible really says is that for us to live the Christian life rightly, we need to look both up as well as over, up as well as over. And so in statement form, we might say it this way in talking about that horizontal part, that you were created by God for relational community and its core to connecting with Him this side of heaven. I think this is something a lot of Christians fight because we tend to be so fiercely independent and want it to be just us and God. But the reality is the Bible doesn't let us escape the, the fact that we were made, created in the image of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be in relational community with those around us. And now as followers of Jesus, it is doubly important because we now are the body of Christ the body of Jesus Christ, and God says part and parcel of our walk with Him is how and in what ways we relate to each other. And as I said, though some of us fight this aspect of our Christian faith, there are essentially three biblical reasons that God outlines for us as to why this is so, why He places such a premium on relational connectivity, what we call fellowship or community as a church. Here's the first one. Look up here on the screen. And that is that being in relational community allows you to avoid doing life alone. Let me repeat that. Being in relational community allows you and me to avoid doing life alone. And here's the assumption in that biblical point. You and I don't want to do life alone. We were not made to do life alone. Even as independent or self-sufficient as you might think you are, God says we all come to a point in life where we need each other and that life was meant to be a group activity in many ways. I can remember when I went to the senior pastorate about 15 years ago, I got to London, Ontario for my first senior pastorate, and I hadn't been there but a few weeks when a couple of gals from the church called, they were sisters, and said, uh, we need to meet with you and plan the funeral for our mother. I, I said, certainly I would, that's what I do, I'm a pastor, I do funerals, and so I, I met with the daughters, and they started telling me about their mother, a, a wonderful woman I wish I would have met. They described a single mom almost all of her life who had raised her two kids and supported them with a full-time job. All of their friends loved her. She was kind of like the go-to person for all these young girls while they were growing up. Uh, she was well-liked by everybody, including all the neighbors. She wasn't an extremely religious gal, but she did know Jesus and follow Jesus and raised her girls uh, to at least uh, follow Jesus. And I asked at one point in our talk, how did she pass away? It would be kind of an important thing for me to know. And, and the girls looked at me and said, well, that's kind of the awkward thing. And they shared with me a story that I will never forget. And they said, mom has always been healthy, never really even went to a doctor, but uh, we found her passed away a, a few days ago in her house. And when we found her in her bed and she was dead, uh, she had a very extended uh, abdomen in which it looked like she had almost swallowed a basketball. 
And we found that very, very odd. So we had an autopsy done, and they found that their mother had been battling cancer of the stomach for over a year. And she didn't tell anybody. She didn't tell her daughters. She didn't tell her friends. She never saw a doctor. She clearly knew what was happening to her, but like her life had been for most of her life, she was going to go it alone, and she went it alone and even hid it from her daughters for over a year. And I'll let that sink in a minute, in a minute folks. Uh, some of you have battled cancer yourself, or you've walked a loved one through cancer. Imagine one year of metastasizing cancer with no prescription painkillers, no treatment, no hospital, no hospice care, and most of all, no friends or family at all to journey with you through this. In short, no fellowship or community at a time when the most independent of us would probably be screaming for some kind of support. That's what this woman did. And though in one sense I respected her privacy and even admired her for not wanting to burden her daughters with what she assumed was going to be a losing battle, the thought that hit me all throughout my interaction with these girls, as well as when I did the funeral, was simply this. This is not how God has made us. Not at all. This woman bypassed the normal process of how God has designed life, simply being that there are certain times in life, if not regularly in life, where we do need each other, where God asks us to open up our lives to each other and not go it alone, but to do life together. And as we're going to see in a minute, it's even core to our spiritual lives. You know, at one point in his ministry, Jesus decided to communicate this idea in a very head-turning, what-did-he-just-say kind of way. In other words, Jesus was good at making statements to people that would kind of grab them, kind of a hug them, slug them approach to making statements. And he did this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Look up on the screen here at what he says. Cactus venue and chapel, look up on your screens. Jesus says, for where two or three have gathered in my name, there I am among them. For two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, let's think about this passage for a minute here. A lot of Christians do drive-bys of this passage, and I don't think they fully understand what Jesus is saying here. One of the things we know he's not saying here is that when we're alone, he's not with us. Give me all a head nod that you understand that, right? So he's not saying that just because we're alone, his presence isn't with us, because he already promised in Matthew 28 that he would be with us, each of us individually, even to the very ends of the age. In Psalm 139, it tells us that God is omnipresent. He is constantly with us. So Jesus can't be saying here that just because we're alone, there is no presence of him with us. So what he must be saying, most Bible experts conclude, is that when we band together, just two or three, believers in Jesus Christ, in relational community, there is a special presence of Jesus. There's a power of Jesus. There's an interaction with Jesus that only comes through relational community. And if you doubt this at all, look at what he says in the verse right before this. Look at verse 19. This kind of fills in the gaps. He says again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So there it is again. This idea that when we come together in relational spiritual community with another believer or two in Christ, then there's power in that setting. 
And just so that we understand it rightly, because Scripture always needs to inform Scripture, 1 John 5.14 tells us that what we ask needs to be according to God's will. So it's not just that two believers get together and say, okay, God, we agree that this should happen, you know, give us our blessing. No, that's not how it works. It has to be according to his will. But what Jesus is saying here is that there is power in spiritual community. There is power and spiritual sparks fly when we engage relationally and biblically with each other. You were created for relational community, and this allows you to avoid doing life alone. And so I love how Eldridge says it in his book, Waking the Dead. Look up here on the screen. This is good. He says, when he left Rivendell, Frodo didn't head out with a thousand elves. He had eight companions. Jesus didn't march around back by hundreds of followers either. He had 12 men, knuckleheads, every last one of them, but they were a band of brothers. He says, this is the way of the kingdom of God. Though we are part of a great company, we are meant to live in little platoons. The little companies we form must be small enough for each of the members to know one another as friends and allies. Then read on. He asks, is it possible for 5,000 people? Interesting. Uh, we'll be, have about 5,000 people in our various services this weekend. Is it possible for 5,000 people who gather for an hour on a Sunday morning to really and truly know each other? Okay. How about 500? 108. It can't be done. They can't possibly be intimate allies. It can be inspiring and encouraging to celebrate with a big old crowd of people, but who will fight for your hearts? You see what he's getting at there? It's great to meet as a corporate church. It's great to meet in a, in a large or medium-sized room and lift your voices to God and be taught the Word and kind of get spiritually pumped up for the week ahead. But the reality is that's not enough. And God says that we need to be in more intimate relational community with each other if we're ever going to spiritually grow as he wants us to. You can't do it alone. He created you for community. And the first thing this means is that you don't have to do it alone. Now, we're just getting started. With this understanding and taking this even further, because I know how some of you think, you're thinking, well, what is it about getting with other people that makes it so that spiritual sparks fly? Why can't I do it alone? And this brings us to the second thing that being in community with other believers allows and why it is so important to God, and it's this. Look up here on the screen. Being in relational community allows you to be honest about who you really are. And now we're getting somewhere. I can see some of you squirm. Uh, being in relational community uh, allows you to be honest, the good and the bad, about who you really are. And what's fascinating about this principle, guys, is that in the very first Christian church, within one day or week of the church being set up, it describes exactly this happening. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46. The day of Pentecost has come. They've gone from just over 100 people in the church to now over 3,000 people in the church. So they got a severe church growth problem. And so they start to break people down into small groups as well as teach in the temple. And this is how it describes what was happening. Look at Acts 2 verse 46. It says, and day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness, here it is, and sincerity of heart. 
Now, as we've already established, they're meeting in the temple for apostolic teaching and for worship, and then they're meeting in homes for smaller relational connectivity. Why? Because where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. But then as it describes this breaking of the bread that most Bible experts take as holy communion, this spiritual activity of communion, it says that they did so with sincerity of heart. Focus on that phrase, sincerity of heart. Uh, The King James Version says singleness of heart. The New King James says simplicity of heart. And it's a fascinating word in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in. Get this, the word literally means an unfolded, non-duplicitous heart. The opposite would be a heart that has lots of folds in it, that's been kind of folded over where you can tuck lots of things and hide lots of things. But when you meet with sincerity of heart or simplicity of heart or singleness of heart, it pictures an unfolded heart where you've opened up your life to a small group of others so that you don't have to do it alone and you can be honest about who you really are. What the Bible says about the very first Christian church during the very first week is that they met together in small communities and with unfolded hearts, they shared their lives with each other. And all I can tell you guys is what a need that all of us have, I mean each and every one of us here today, for this kind of community. You know, I've shared with you before, I I was raised in a very, very independent home. I mean very independent. It's almost hard to describe. My dad was born in the midst of the Great Depression. His dad died when he was seven years old, leaving my grandma and my dad, who was a single child, uh, penniless. They had to move to Peoria, Illinois for my grandma to start to teach school, even though she only had a high school education during World War II. They allowed that to happen. My dad had to win a scholarship to college and then a scholarship to law school. And by the time my brother and I came along, my dad had cemented the fact that life is an independent venture and an independent activity, and he raised us to be fiercely independent. In fact, I can still remember going off to college, and I had an older sister, and my older sister I knew, somehow I knew, was getting an allowance at college of $100 a month back in the 1970s. And that was a lot of money, $100 a month. And so when I went off to Hillsdale College, I said to my dad, I said, so how much is my allowance? (laughs) And he looked at me and said, nothing. We were at the dinner table with my mom. He said, nothing. And I said, well, that's not fair. He hated hearing that from me. I said, that's not fair. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, look, Jamie, here's the bottom line. He said, you were raised by me, you and your brother. Your sister was raised by your mother, and they don't know how to handle money. My mom's sitting right there. And he goes, they don't know how to handle money. He goes, but you were raised to learn how to earn money, and I'm already paying for your college education, so earn it and stop asking me for any more. That was my dad. And he didn't even say I love you after that. That was my dad. So when I got married, I entered into a fiercely independent way of functioning. It was one of the deeper struggles Kim and I had in the early days, and probably even a little bit now. Why did I tell you all that? Because one of the things that I learned early on in my Christian walk is how much not only do I need God, but how much I need a few around me that will journey with me. For over 20 years now, on a weekly basis, I have met with a hand-selected group of men that I trust that I can open up my life to. 
On my study break just over the last few weeks, one of them about every five days would text me and say, how you doing? And he wasn't interested in the weather. He wasn't interested in the lake report. He wasn't even interested in what I'd been watching on TV. He wanted to know what was going on in my soul. And I gladly shared that with him. I don't have a lot of friends. I got a ton of acquaintances, but I have a few friends that I meet with regularly that spiritually know God and love Him, and they're even willing to journey with me. Why? Because we want to be honest about life, because we know that when we are honest about life, that God enters into that. Again, Matthew 18, 20, and we start to grow spiritually. And I know what some of you are thinking at this point. You're thinking, well, Jamie, I've been there. I've tried it. It didn't work out so well. I mean, obviously, you've hand-selected the right people, but I tried joining a small group once or a men's group or a discipleship thing, and it was a train wreck, and I'm never doing it again. And all I can say to that is stop being a wimp. Is that clear enough? (laughs) I mean, whoever said it was going to be easy, whoever said that the first time was going to work right? I've been a Christian now for over 30 years. I've been a pastor for over 25. Let me ask you a question. Do you think I've ever been let down by church people, yes or no? Yes. I've been back now for, what, eight days. Already been let down. Don't need to tell you about that. But the reality is, is that I've been in small groups where after about a week or discipleship groups, I go, this thing's like a 747 trying to get off the ground, and we got 10 feet of runway left, and it's not going to work. It's going to crash and burn. And I'm pretty good at calling a spade a spade and saying, well, this didn't work out, but I'm going to try it over here. I met a gal uh, just a couple weeks ago when I got back a week ago, and I've known her really well. I didn't meet her, but I saw her, and she was sitting about 10 rows back from where she usually does. And so I went back and said to her, I said, hey, you know, you're usually in the second row here. What's going on? And she just told me a harrowing tale of how while I was gone, there was some relational discord just in the few front rows here between uh, these believers. I know it's hard to picture, but go with me on that. There was just some (laughs) relational discord between her and the people. And I didn't even know what it was about, and she was upset about it. But I I simply looked at her and said, well, I do want to hear more of the details when we have some time. But I said, here's what I want you to know right now, and please don't ever forget this this is your church. (laughs) And there are lots of people in this church. And I hope you can work it out with these people here. But please know, if it doesn't work out here, I promise you, because I know God, He's got plenty of other opportunities for you to connect and feel what Larry Crabb calls the safest place on earth, church, and for you to experience that. Don't give up on church Don't give up on other believers. They're going to hurt you at times, but if you don't stay in the ring, it only hurts you, and it only hurts God. I love how C.S. Lewis said this years ago. This is good stuff. Look up here on the screen. It's inarguable. He said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will not change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. (laughs) And he's right. Some of us need to give love and relational community another chance. Because though we might have been hurt in the past, God says it's that important for you. 
And here's the third reason why, and this brings it all to a head. This is what most Christians miss today, going back to that vertical and horizontal thing. And that, that is the reason it is so important is that being in relational community allows you to become more like Jesus Christ. It truly does. I'm going to go back to what I started with. It is core to our Christian walk with God. You know, Paul the Apostle was probably, again, one of the most independent and, you know, rugged people the New Testament ever saw, said it this way in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You should imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's a lot of richness in that passage we don't have time to look at today, but look up here on your screen. Essentially, Paul is arguing this. Give me another click here, guys. He's essentially saying that he's in the vertical right now, that he's imitating Christ. And that as he's imitating Christ, let's move into the horizontal community that you guys look to me, Paul the Apostle, and start to imitate me. Why? Because then the third thing will happen, and that is that I will point you to the vertical and you're going to start to grow spiritually. That's pretty profound stuff. And that's a circular thing. It just continues on and on in mutual Christian community that we learn and grow from each other. We need each other, God says. We are the body of Christ, and we need to get honest with each other. And that as we do so, we're going to grow in our walk with God, in our Christ-likeness. And again, I can't tell you how many times and ways I experience this as your pastor on so many levels. This has been core to my marriage, getting honest with Kim and living a more unfolded life before her. Man, that's a challenge, but I do that. I, I do this with our elders. We have monthly soul care where we band together as a small group and unfold our lives and hearts before each other. I do this with various staff. I do this with my men's group. And I have dyadic relationships with people like Schrader and others that I get with regularly, and I just open up my life to them and vice versa. I got it all over the place. This guy who was raised by a Depression-era dad to not think that he needs anybody and who's fairly self-sufficient in his life has learned the power of relational community. And if it's true for me, it's got to be true for you. It's how we grow closer to Jesus Christ. You know, about 20 years ago, the, the church nationwide started to get into dramas. I don't know if you guys remember that, but churches started to go crazy on dramas. And like many of the trends that churches do, I can remember looking at a lot of churches doing dramas, and I thought to myself, I hope you give up on this soon, because you don't do them very well. And I actually outlawed dramas in my, my first senior pastor, because they were doing them, and they were just akin to third grade plays, and I just didn't find them very helpful in communicating spiritual truth. The reason I confess that is that once in a while I'd go to a church and I'd see a drama and it would just suck me in and it would communicate a spiritual truth to me that I'd been needing to hear and long for in such a way that motivated me. Back in the mid-90s, Kim and I were at a large church in Chicago and we saw such a drama and I found it just last week and I want to show it to you right now. This is about 20 years old, but it speaks true today here. And so we're going to show you this video, Cactus and Venue and Chapel. We're going to show you this dramatic video. And then at the end of it, I'm going to get up back here with our Shea campus, and I'm going to chat with you all about next steps for your lives. But then Rustin over at the venue and Steve over at the chapel and Rick over at Cactus are going to get with the congregations there personally as their pastors and talk about next steps as well. So look up here on the screen, and then we'll get back to you.
Almost seven. <sighs> I hate feeling out of place. But I read somewhere that there are always two roads that you can take. One of them is easy, and that, it being easy, is its only reward, so. You see those people back there? You know who I bet they're praying about? Me, yeah. <laughs> Name's Evan Powell, and I haven't gone to church much lately, not in a long time. In fact, it's been since... Um, 95, 96. Man, I wouldn't have gone then except that was the year that I met this woman at work. Her name was Carrie. And she was so beautiful. She had a great sense of humor, very intelligent. There was just one drawback. Want to go to church with me? Seemed like it was the daily question, and my daily answer was no, I didn't. But I thought something might happen with Carrie, you know? I thought, I thought she might be the one. So every day my knees kept getting weaker, and then one day... Want to go to church with me? They buckled completely. <laughs> Soon I found myself standing in the lobby of a sanctuary, which I didn't even know sanctuaries had. Met a few people there. Carrie had lots of friends. Hi, you must be Carrie's friend. Oh, hi. Oh, I was under the impression you were Carrie's friend. No, well, yeah, I am, but I see what you mean. It's a funny man. Evan, this is Randy. Hi, Randy. Hi, I'm Sandra. Hi. I'm Carrie's friend. Oh, Randy just told me I was. I'm sorry? <laughs> Carrie's friend. He just said, you must be Carrie's friend. Evan, stop it. Randy and Sandra are married. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. They're Thank in you. my small group. Hi, small group. Small group of what? Small group of uh, chess players, small group of yodelers, what? Uh, <laughs> Hi, Evan. Hi. I'm Al. Hi, Al. Nice to meet you. This is Annie. Hi, Annie. Nice to meet you. Oh, yeah. We're part of Carrie's small group. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> I just kept laughing every time they said that. <laughs> Hi, I'm part of Carrie's small group. <laughs> small group of what? Well, small group of a lot of things, it turned out. Small group of cooks, of carpoolers, of phone callers, late at night to check and see how the whole family is doing. Small group of friends is what it was, basically. Actually, pretty substantial for something labeled small. What they didn't know is that I was a small group of one. And I liked it that way. Hey, Evan, we're having a Bible study. Oh, no, no, thanks, sweetheart. Going bowling on Tuesday. Nope. Dinner? Nope. Music festival. No chance. Vintage car show. <laughs> Vintage cars. This guy hit me right where it hurt. I hear you have a passion for a Nash Metropolitan. Oh. You gotta understand. A Nash. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted a Nash. No, I know. Guess what? Little did I know. Eat your heart out. He has two. 
I have not only one, I've got two. Hey, want to come over, tear them apart? He had a 56 Sunburst Yellow and a 58 Mardi Gras Red, my dream car. And Bubba Constable, as it turned out, was as classic as the cars. And uh, a great friend, which was good because I was about to need one. Nineteen ninety-five. Josh was my little brother. <laughs> well, I say little, he was like six three, two forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he loved to fish. He was out east, and uh, well, he he hooked himself with a hook through the thumb. Had to go to the ER, have it taken out. It was no big deal. But. Somehow he caught this, this thing, this bacteria. It was very rare. It was pretty horrible. He was dead one month later. My little brother didn't believe in much of anything. Frankly, neither did I. But watching him die really opened my eyes. Or maybe it was something else. See, the funeral was about four hours away from Chicago. They all came. The small group. Now they were mourners. They came. Hey. We're really sorry. It's very impressive. Very real. Honest. You know, they didn't have to do that. Well, uh, some time went on. <clears throat> Actually, some good things happened. Uh, God finally got my attention. I joined the small group officially. I became Christian. Bubba baptized me, which, uh, <laughs> which scared him to death. <laughs> he has this phobia about water. <laughs> and I married Carrie. But, you know, with jobs and stuff, uh, we ended up having to move, went to California, dreaming of tans and romance, walks and surf. I guess that pretty much brings us up to speed. Evan? Yeah. Evan Powell? Hey, Baba. Hey, long time no see. What are you doing here? 
You know, you ought to let folks know when you're coming. Y yeah. You know, look at you. You look great. Oh. I mean, you look really... You look good. Well, thank you. You too. You too. <laughs> you know, I think I just lied to you for the first time. You look terrible. What? What's going on? Uh, well, <laughs> nothing. Uh, hey, thank come you. on. <laughs> this is Bubba you're talking to here. You can't bluff me. No, I know, Bubba. I just... Hey, how's Carrie? Where is she? She here? No, she's in California. So, what? I'm back here. Back here? Yeah, I got in a couple weeks ago. But she's back there. Yeah, this is not a hard concept, Bubba. <laughs> is it over? Well, we haven't thrown in the towel yet, but... Yeah, we may be down for the count. I had no idea. Hey, it's, it's Tuesday. Yeah? Tuesday, small group. Still? Still. Every Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Randy and Sanders still there? Oh, yeah. Some new folks, too. Nice folks. Hardly any of them bite. <laughs> Look, uh, Bubba. Okay, I'm... okay, I get it. You're not doing the church thing anymore, right? No, not really. Okay, that's good, because I'm not asking you to come to church Hey, I'm asking you to come and see some friends, some family. Look, don't, don't do this alone. I don't, I don't know what we can do, but we're going to be there to help you with whatever's coming. And so will he. After seven now. I don't feel as out of place as I thought I might. It's just without Carrie here, it's. I just still, I love her, you know. And I haven't been listening to him much lately. But somehow, for now, I think he wants me here. Church become a true community. We are all the same. Church. 
On your way in today, you're handed a bulletin, and in there there's a card that says, Get Connected at Scottsdale Bible. I'd like all of you to pull that out right now. So if you could, just indulge me. I don't do this very often, but just let's have this in front of each one of us as we wrap up our service this morning. And, you know, as many of you know, we take very seriously our role here at Scottsdale Bible Church as a leadership uh, to provide for you opportunities to grow in your walk with Christ. So that's why we offer worship services and men's ministry, women's counseling, all the things, youth and children that we do, because it's all designed to help God's people become, well, more and more God's people. And one of the things that we want to do is always offer small group connectivity to those that call this church home. Uh, my model for our church is that the bigger we get, the smaller we must become. The bigger we get, the smaller we must become. We all need opportunities to not just worship corporately, but also to have a chance to connect, as you saw in our video and as we've learned from the Lord Jesus. So here's a card in front of you that's going to give you an opportunity to do that. And there's only three choices on this card. So let's fill it out together. We start at the top there. If you're already connected in a small group, then just check that off and I'll leave you alone. If you're already connected in a group or if you're connected dyadically with somebody, if you have what we're talking about today, and it's between you and God, just be honest, then check that off, and we're going to have you hand this in, even anonymously without your name, because we're going to celebrate that. So you can help us know how connected our people are. Uh, there's a second checkbox there, and that's for the those of you who are not going to be interested in joining a group today, but you're not in a group already, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray about it. So if you're somebody who says, Jamie, I'm not quite convinced yet, but I'm, I'm open to what God would want for me because it's really clear in the Word, I'm going to ask you to pray about it, and I'd like you to check that off. And again, you don't have to even fill out the rest of the card, but let us know that you're praying, and we're going to pray for you because I truly believe God wants you to be connected in relationship. And then for those of you, and there hopefully be a sizable number, that are interested in joining a group here at your church, we got a lot of room. We do need more leaders, as I'll share with you in a second, but we have uh, spots now for hundreds of people in small groups. We have over 300 different small groups, or 300 small groups in our church, and they're all different kinds. So if you're interested in joining a group, you can be in one that's on campus or off campus, check that. Uh, then check what kind of it, group you might be interested in, and check more than one, a community group, a new Christian group, a men's group, women, singles, couples, parents groups. We have all different kinds. Check what your interest is, and here's my promise. If you fill that out and you put your name there, we will get back to you. We will. I've already told our staff that if I put my neck on the line and tell folks to get into a group and they fill out a card, we will get back to you on this and, and talk to you about how we can get you into a group because I feel we can do that. So as you fill this out, I'm going to pray for us to close our service. I want you to hand it in at the door on your way out. There'll be an usher at every single door with a basket. And so as they are there, then just throw this in there. And if you put your name on there, we'll get back to you. If not, we're praying for you. This is your church. We love you because God loves you. Let me close us in prayer. Father, I thank you for all that you are to us, that, Lord, in the vertical, through our salvation in Jesus Christ and in our intimate personal relationship with you through him, and then, Lord, as we've seen today, the horizontal, our relationality with each other and the need that we have for each other that make up the church, the body of Christ. 
And so, Lord, I pray that as we continue to enlist in little platoons as a church here, that, God, you would be honored, that you would enter into those two or three or more gathered in your name and do the work that only you can do. We're going to stay in the ring, God, because we love you and we know we need each other. And I pray this in Christ's name. And the whole church says together, amen. God bless you. We'll see you all next week.